everybody, this is Craig from the University of Applied Research and Development, and we are here with Karen Subhaya, who is the Senior Advisor for Disaster Risk Reduction at the UN Environment Programme. Hi, Karen. Hi, Craig. Well, thanks for inviting me. I'm looking forward to this. Delighted to have you here. You do a range of really interesting things. Why don't you introduce you know, your topic of interest and how you arrived at your current role? Sure. So I'm the senior advisor at uh, UN Environment Programs Conflicts and Disaster uh, Management Branch in Geneva. And I um, coordinate a project there on ecosystem-based disaster risk reduction. So this is a topic I've been working on since the Indian Ocean tsunami in 2004, actually, uh, where the world was confronted with news on this terrible tsunami that took place uh, with some kind of anecdotal stories on mangroves having saved some communities uh, from uh, immediate destruction you know, due to the tsunami. And uh, there was actually um, a lot of research that uh, took place, and a lot of advocacy as a result. And this perked my interest and I was invited by uh, IUCN, the International Union for Conservation of Nature, to step in and do a, a study on this. And uh, the uh, small publication we uh, put out in 2005 was actually one of the first in this field. Um, so this is how we got started. And then um, I went back to get a PhD at the age of ripe age of 40. Um, with two little kids at home to study the topic of uh, wow. landslides and vegetation and how, what the role of uh, forests are in reducing landslides and ended up in Pakistan, uh, studying landslides after the earthquake. And um, after that, worked with the University of Lausanne for a while in Switzerland, and uh, then became involved with UNEP in developing training materials um, to start with, um, and now managing a large project, which is funded by the European Commission. That's yeah, that's really interesting. So your, your PhD in landslides, Marina Drasba, who we interviewed a few weeks ago, um, American um, person did her PhD through the University of Auckland, which is where I am in New Zealand, where I did my PhD, and she's worked in refugee camps in Bangladesh. And she said that landslides, everyone thinks it's really boring, but she finds them really interesting. So what captured you about landslides? Well, I have to say that my, my background is actually, I started out in international development um, with a, a bachelor's, actually a bachelor's degree in international relations, uh, then a um, a master's degree in forestry resources. So I came to the issue of uh, disaster uh, and disaster risk reduction from an environmental perspective. And looking at, well, what I observed in, in Pakistan, and I had never seen an earth, uh, I'd never really experienced an earthquake or seen a landslide mm. until arriving in Pakistan after the, the terrible 2005 earthquake. And um, what we found is that uh, one side of the valley was completely deforested uh, for various reasons due to lack of environmental governance. The goats had grazed all the way down to the roots and eaten every single piece of grain of our grass straw. And we found that the other side of the valley, which is highly forested, had hardly any landslides. But this doesn't, I mean, it shouldn't be science fiction. This seems pretty straightforward, but it had this type of, uh, I would say, correlation between forests and landslides had not really been documented very properly. 
So this really perked my interest and we found that there was a niche, right, on ecosystem-based disaster risk reduction. And as the world also, I would say, started becoming more and more aware about the link between ecosystems, climate change adaptation, and disaster risk, uh, there was more and more interest in this topic, which is why then I was uh, invited to work at UNEP, uh, where we then have, like I said, a large project on this topic, where we're really uh, working together with partners uh, in the Partnership on Environment and Disaster Risk Reduction. You can... Uh, Maybe I can put the link in the chat here in a minute or share that with you afterwards. Uh, but we are about 27 organizations working together around the world to bring together the evidence of how ecosystems, not only forests on steep slopes, but wetlands areas to observe, uh, as, to act as buffers for excess rainwater. Um, then, of course, we have sand dunes and uh, coral reefs, uh, seagrasses. Mm. Uh, mangroves and other type of vegetation along coastal areas, which can help to buffer various types of coastal hazards. Um, so we find that around the world and different types of ecosystems uh, can help to reduce the impacts of various types of hazards. So our role has really been to uh, be to gather the evidence and translate mm. that into language that policymakers can understand and mm. into the kind of language that'll help to uh, make those help decision makers make those decisions and in investing in ecosystems, oftentimes combined with great infrastructure, but sometimes instead of great infrastructure. Um, so yeah, that's how I got to the topic. Kind of a long answer to your question there, Craig. But I thought I would you know provide that kind of extra background. You just mentioned that you create materials um, for influencing policy, but also you're involved in creating online learning materials for the general public, such as myself, to understand how to respond and how to repair. Why don't you tell us about some of the materials you've been developing? Well, let's see, it ranges from a, we started out with a training package uh, for uh, policymakers, uh, where we brought together, especially Ministries of Environment with Ministries of Disaster Risk Reduction and the Ministries of Climate Change to speak to each other and to develop action plans and how they can work together. Um, then we moved to um, developing a master's course on the topic, which is now taught by over 100 universities around the world, in fact, wow. at least some of our course materials. Um, that master course then led to a first massive open online course in 20. 15 and uh, ours was uh, UNEP's first mass, uh, massive open online course together with our partner, the uh, Technical University of Cologne. Um, now we, we thought we were super successful by having 12,000 people sign up for that course. Um, then we were tasked with um, uh, now our current uh, MOOC, uh, which is called Nature-Based Solutions. There we go for disaster and climate resilience, which is housed on the edX platform through the SDG Academy. Thanks, Craig, for showing uh, showing that on the screen. So, uh, this MOOC uh, is intended more for a general audience, and um, we developed it with several different um, stakeholder groups in mind, especially youth. We have a special section on youth. Uh, policymakers, um, but also engineers, how engineers might consider getting more into green engineering, um, as well as um, 
private sector. We have a section there on the private sector. Um, so we developed this with various stakeholder groups in mind, and we found that especially youth have been super interested um, in the course. And um, our average age um, actually is 27 years. So now we have, I think, 52,000 people registered and uh, around 7,000 people who have completed and received our free UNEP certificate. Uh, we've just launched the course in China now um, on the NetEase platform. And uh, we'll see how that goes. So it's uh, very exciting. And uh, yeah, thanks for pointing out that we were just nominated uh, one of the top 25 courses of the year by uh, the magazine Inc. Wow. Um, and um, I guess ours was the only one that was not uh, hosted by uh, either by Google, the Google learning platform, or is uh, like a uh, kind of a uh, technical course. Um, so we're, we're feeling pretty proud about that. Thanks, Craig. That's fantastic. Congratulations. That's really amazing. So what I have done is for those people on YouTube, I've just dropped it into the public chat, not our private chat. And so that'll be on YouTube and I'll go through the show notes as well. And I'll add the link to that as well. So people can jump in and personally, I'm going to jump in and do it myself and recommend it to our students that we do the course as well. So congratulations on that. It looks like it's really engaging. Well, we try to make it um, into something very practical because our first MOOC really followed our master's course very, um, uh, I would say it, it really was, uh, it was long. It was around 20 chapters long, but we wanted to keep it uh, uh, close to our master's course and it was a bit more academic. And we found that most MOOCs are academic. Uh, this time we decided let's make it fun. Let's make it entertaining. Uh, we engaged mm. a professional videographer and um, a bit of behind the scenes story is uh, in between lockdowns, we managed to uh, um, go to Southern France for the filming. Um, and we, our videographer is based in Valencia, Spain, and he couldn't fly into Switzerland and we couldn't go to Spain, but we were both, we were all allowed to go to France. So we were able to go down there and we did the shoot in between tractors moving around this is in the french countryside and planes going overhead and then uh, we managed to get all of the the filming done and then a storm hit and after that um you know our, our window for filming because we did it outside we didn't want to be inside in the studio for risk of contamination right because it was right. still during a kind of semi-lockdown condition so yeah i mean uh, it was um it was a very uh, fun experience because the videographer is uh, full of life and uh, we tried to put in quite a dash of sense of humor into uh, into the MOOC. Um, and uh, we have quite a few bloopers that uh, the audience might find funny, hopefully. Um, we feel, I mean, I feel that, I mean, this is a serious topic. Uh, mm. We're talking about reducing disaster risk. Uh, we're talking about how we can and should invest in nature. Uh, mm. for doing so, and the multiple benefits of nature um, in reducing disaster risk uh, that we that provided for, for livelihoods. But why not make education interesting, entertaining, mm. while uh, a serious learning experience? So that's my philosophy, right. and I, that's why uh, people have been engaging with our course. So earthquakes are, I would imagine, not related to climate change, but the the impact that an earthquake could have on people and on the environment could be related to climate change. Would you mind to explain that in the connection for us? Well, that is an interesting question. Um, I mean, 
you might say, well, what do earthquakes, I mean, how can a nature-based solution be related to earthquakes, right? Um, usually we say that buildings uh, kill, not, uh, mm -hmm. the, not earthquakes. But if you look at it this way, and, and my experience when I was in Pakistan was that the earthquake can trigger landslides, right? Mm -hmm. And an earthquake can also trigger uh, tsunamis and other types of um, activity, uh, hazard events, uh, for which when we have slope, uh, we have uh, steep slopes and we have vegetation on steep slopes um, that can mm -hmm. protect against earthquake triggered landslides. Um, now for tsunamis, uh, I mean, let's not fool ourselves. The, the Indian Ocean 2004 tsunami, I mean, mangroves are placed in certain areas. They don't, they're not necessarily meant to withstand a huge tsunami such as what we saw in 2004, but right. they can withstand various types of storm surges and smaller types of uh, tsunamis. Um, and I've, I've surprisingly, even seagrasses um, can be a very good response. Now, climate change, we're adding another dimension right here, climate change. So uh, for climate change, when we have uh, drought conditions, for example, that may weaken um, vegetation on a steep slope, if we have a monoculture, uh, that climate change uh, induced drought might weaken mm. that forest stand on the slope. Then if we have an earthquake, you know, that might uh, have uh, an effect. Actually, one of our books on the main cover, it's a photo from New Zealand uh, in an area that has been highly deforested for uh, grazing. And it shows very clearly um, the areas that have been uh, grazed are areas that are susceptible to landslides. So what I'd like to say about climate change is that, yes, it's definitely an aggravating factor. But and we hope to also portray in our course is that it may not always be the main factor for various types of um, hazard events. Okay, landslides, for example, right? So if we're grazing, uh, if we allow free grazing, if we cut down all the trees, and then we have a climate change induced rainfall event and there are landslides, are you going to blame that on climate, ch climate change? No, it's an aggravating factor, but the underlying causes how we manage our land, how we reduce um, uh, land degradation, how we promote forestation, how we promote healthy ecosystems is really key. And then climate change, when we have healthy ecosystems, they will be more robust and will be better able to withstand a climate change in, uh, induced impact uh, hazard event. So uh, I'm definitely not a climate change denier, uh, but it is one aggravating factor. And uh, the bottom line is how we manage our healthy ecosystems. Right. So uh, for our students that are watching, and um, they're all professionals, Karen. So they're, they're emergency managers, um, emergency responders, and they may be thinking, wow, this is something that really interests me. What are some learning or some experiences or some training that they could put in place that would really help them prepare to work in this particular sector to do what you do? Yeah. So actually, my colleagues who work with UNEP Joint Environmental Unit together with OCHA um, have a, a quite good website um, called the Environment and Humanitarian Action website, EHA. Um, with quite a lot of resources for the uh, humanitarian community and for emergency workers. Um, as you know, the disaster management cycle, uh, right, starts usually with the emergency, and then we go to 
re recovery, reconstruction, and preparedness. So even though I tend to work on the preparedness side of the disaster management cycle, uh, we do recognize the ecosystems can be very useful at all four stages of the cycle. So for colleagues in this sector, please do take a look at that website. It gives uh, very good resources, for example, to uh, rapid environmental assessments, REA. Um, there's a package called the NE the NEAT, N-E-A-T, I have to remember what that stands for, uh, but basically it's also kind of like a rapid assessment uh, for emergency workers in emergency situations. Um, you may be, uh, all of your colleagues may be familiar with the SPHERE handbook, uh, which is of course uh, the Bible in the, uh, in the area of humanitarian work. And there is a chapter there on uh, environmental contingency uh, planning um, and I know that uh, this handbook is also being updated uh, with a new chapter on environment. So uh, environmental concerns are probably not first on mind uh, when emergency workers are out there trying to save lives and livelihoods. Uh, but we know that uh, mistakes can be made um, in the emergency uh, uh, period where uh, hazardous waste really needs to be uh, you know, put aside where uh, various considerations can be made so that, um, you know, cleanup efforts, uh, we, we've seen in the past uh, debris being dumped in wetlands, for example, or um, uh, rapid uh, cleanup yeah. of beaches have actually led to um, invasive species um, taking over beaches. So, um, you know, again, recognizing that uh, human lives come first and, and livelihoods, uh, still there's some environmental contingency um, considerations that could be put in place to avoid long-term recovery issues. Right. So just for those people who are going to catch the recording, uh, I just dropped a link to the Sphere Handbook into the chat, into the public chat, and I'll make sure it's on our LinkedIn and our Facebook as well. Karen, just to wrap up, have you got any general advice for aspiring emergency managers as they move into their professional career? Well, uh, I would say, you know, you've probably chosen a good career because I, I believe there'll be job security, uh, which is, uh, you know, good and not good. Unfortunately, right. I think the world will be seeing more emergencies. Um, we're also working very closely with IFRC, right, the International Federation of Red Cross and Red Crescent, to see how we can work with national societies um, in preventing um, that some of the emergencies, uh, you know, become <laughs> become true emergencies. Um, so you can also take a look at the website of IFRC. Uh, they are they have a page and a new program on nature-based solutions. So please do consider uh, partnering mm. with environmental agencies. Um, taking a look at how you can work with your national Red Cross Society um, in um, yeah, working with nature rather than against nature to make your mm. lives easier. Because we also know that in a post-disaster situation, uh, ecosystems and ecosystem services, clean water, trees, um, livelihoods that we all get from nature are needed mm. uh, for long-term, for short and long-term recovery. So just have that green thought in your mind and uh, dig a bit deeper and uh, might make your work a little bit more enriching and, and easier uh, to reach across and uh, take a look at some of the green options available to you.
Fantastic. Well, Karen, thank you very much for your time. I know you're busy. I really appreciate you giving us some of your wisdom and sharing it with us. Uh, please don't go anywhere. I'm just going to wrap up the show and I'd love to have a chat with you afterwards as well to make sure I get those links to share them correctly on the show notes. So thank you, Karen, for your time. Really appreciate that. All right. Thank you, Craig. It was a pleasure. And for those of you who are emergency managers, just like all emergency managers, you probably have that big binder full of training certifications that you've done over your career. And sometimes they don't translate into an academic degree like a bachelor or a master's degree. And this is why UARD exists. So jump onto UARD.org or UARD.ac.nz and we give recognition for the training and experience that emergency managers have had, whether you're in the civilian sector or whether you're in the military sector sector will recognize your industry experience and your training that you've done to help you achieve your bachelor degree or your master's degree much faster as well. So we look forward to seeing you again on our video cast.